Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals and entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups or conferences, trade shows, and other events, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. We want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money, and most importantly, to do it all with no stress. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's literally no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. It's also super easy to use and you can embed your tickets in your website or you can use our own website builder, which is really simple. We have amazing options to apply all kinds of discounts on all the features you'd expect from a much more expensive system like QR code check-in. Go to eventsframe.com, that's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com for a free, no-risk, one-month trial. Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm Dan Taylor. Today, I'm delighted to be talking with Romeo Crow, which is a very cool name. I'll find out afterwards if it is actually his, his real name. But he came onto my radar. Um, as pe- listeners of this know, uh, I'm co-founder of a software company called EventsFrame. It's a ticketing system. Uh, and Romeo was using it and we were taking a look at his events and he's running open mic music events and, and a lot of them. Uh, and I think some comedy events as well, all across London, across the UK, really a huge number of events. So it was really interesting to me how he came to, to run these events. I mean, I looked into his website and he's also a musician. Looks like he's done a lot of cool stuff. So Romeo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Romeo, if we could just get a bit of a background, how did you start from the beginning of your, I guess, your career um, in terms of, because you look like you're doing quite a few things. I mean, have you ever had a job or have you always kind of worked for yourself doing music (laughs) and different things? Or have you got a day job as well? I've worked actually, uh, I was born in London, but my family moved out when I was four. But when I was 17, I started um, working back in London, commuting into London. So from 17 for a good bunch of years, I was um, working in film and TV. Sorry, two seconds. My kids have just wandered in. Now they're okay. wandering out. That's better. That's Apologies about that. They're wandering out with a very big hand signal from me. Um, yeah, so, so I worked, my first job, I was working in film and TV as a runner. And then through various jobs with various media companies, I eventually found myself in advertising sales for magazines. And I did that for a bunch of years. And then about six years ago, something like that, I was like, hang on, I've been thinking about working for myself for, you know, for a long time. I've been thinking about doing something. It's time to bite the bullet and, you know, make something happen. So uh, what am I now? About 38. So yeah, it's only in the last kind of five, six years I've been working for myself. But in that time, I've worked at, as I say, quite a few different types of companies and done quite a lot of stuff. And one of the central pillars that's always kind of gone through is my involvement in music, but yeah. um, mainly as, a, as, a, as an artist, as a performer. And that is what brought me over to the open mind nights great so 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 what are you like are you are you recording music are, are you playing concerts yourself like what what's your what's your sort of music uh, career looking like right now i know it's, it's probably like the most competitive thing to do in the entire world do you know what? it is and it isn't um so oh, you can make it you know yeah you're right so because you can make a living from music if, most people give up at a certain point i think if you keep pushing it you can always you can make an income from it i think to be obviously to be super successful it's like anything else it's a, it's a pyramid you know 
A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I think one of the key things is, especially with something like music, is everybody looks at the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, as you say, the the fame, the mega stars, the blah blah blah, and then they assume that anybody who isn't there doesn't have a career. Yeah. And my kind of focus had been, um, and I've sort of consulted and helped other artists on this kind of side of things as well, on the marketing side of things, is you. You know, you don't see the the bottom of the iceberg. Obviously, it's under the water, but it's the biggest part. And actually, it's yeah. very, very possible to make a career. You just might not be famous. So it comes down to defining success, um, which is one of the things which I think not just musicians, but a, a lot of people actually don't do enough defining what success is for them, because oftentimes they misalign what they think they need to have quote unquote success with what they actually really need, yeah. because they don't really know what. It kind of looks like to them. So for me, my version of success was my realization was, well, hang on. What I really want is to be in control of my time, you know, not have to do anything yeah. other than when my kids dictate it. You know, aside yeah. from that, that's my success. And then I realized that the path that I was sort of trying to pursue in music wasn't actually taking me towards that because it was on other people's schedules. So you're talking about the gigging, you know, the traditional path in music would be touring, record labels, all of this stuff. And yeah. I started kind of moving into that direction. But then I realized that this is, it's just a, a treadmill. And it actually the treadmill gets faster and faster and it's harder and harder to get off. And so what I looked at over the years before I quit my job um, was, well, hang on a minute. There's this newfangled thing called the internet and there's this stuff called marketing and then digital marketing. And maybe there's a better way of doing things. So I prodded around for a while, taught myself, learned stuff, made lots of mistakes. And eventually kind of worked out a way that one can actually start building their music career in what we call a director fan, you know, director fan way. So sure. cutting out the big man, et cetera, which obviously I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will know exactly what I mean. And so that was kind of the direction I wanted to move. Also, having just started a new family, I was very keen and have always been very keen to be home with the kids, to be together as a family, to be able to do things as a family. And that generally is at odds with performing every night and being on tour so those kind of couple of different things started leading me into the the path that i'm in moving towards now that's fascinating isn't it? yeah i'm i mean i play bass guitar I've, I've played in some bands just just you know generally for fun and a, f a few things commercially but nothing to boast about but what i mean it's interesting when you meet people who are actually musicians and that's their job you know the touring is just that, that that's how you make your money that that's basically it isn't it so and that means every and, and the weekend is always the busiest time so you're going to be doing like every every weekend most weeks you just have to get used to you know you know if you're in somewhere like london you can probably stay fairly local and get home a lot of nights but still you know you can only do so much in london like you've got to have to get on the road at some point yeah i mean yeah absolutely um but again I mean, London, London's a funny kind of place um, because it's it's a mecca for not just musicians in the UK, but all over Europe. I met, uh, I mean, thousands probably musicians over the last few years, particularly with the open mics and so many musicians coming from other countries in Europe to London because it's perceived as being this, you know, the holy grail of the music scene. But actually, the London music scene is pretty awful. It is. And that's fa it's funny you say that, but I completely agree. Yeah. But it's also a lot less opportunity to play than people realise. And as a consequence, it's a lot more competitive, especially with the influx of people from all over the country and the continent. 
who come here to ply their wares. Because so it's interesting because I, I live in Prague, right, which is a, a tenth the size yeah. of London. And there's like, I can't count how many live music venues are out. There's so many. There's loads of open mic nights. There's loads. I mean, especially, I, I'm kind of, I like yeah. punk music and hardcore, a lot of this stuff and the older stuff and newer stuff. And, and I, I know I know maybe 20 venues in, in Prague that have that. I mean, there's, there's, there's really just a, a handful in London, you know. And for a city well, of the size, it's maybe because it's, just expensive to get the real estate and places to close and down. But I, I noticed that like London is, it's got an amazing music scene, but it's, it's not as much live music as you'd think for a place of the size it is. A hundred percent. I mean, there's two kind of major problems or major points to that. In the last decade, over 50% of the grassroots live music venues in London have closed. And yeah. that's generally down to um, exactly as you said, rents and all of that, you know, people can make more money by redeveloping into flats and houses, etc. And there's also the other side to it, which is competition. Because every major act on the planet is coming through London, on any given night of the week, you can see, you know, these amazing acts from all over the world. Alongside, London has massively diverse nightlife of all different kind of things to do. So you've got this humongous competition, not just from musicians, but from outside sources. And you've got a whole load of less venues. So the venues that are still functioning only really want to work with really proven acts who are going to bring in, you know, obviously enough people to pay, etc. So the the grassroots and the bottom level has really been sucked quite hard, like hit really hard. And that's one of the key reasons why I wanted to um, expand with the open mics. Yeah, no, I, no, before before we get onto that, like, what, what are you, I'm very curious, like, what are you doing with music? Are you still playing live? Are, are, you, are you doing that? Or, or is that kind of taking a backseat for you? The last gig I played personally was in November last year. It was a charity gig. But apart from that, I've hardly played live at all. Um, I mo- Because I, again, technology enables me. I, I write, years ago when I was in bands, I wrote all the songs, you know, I put everything together. I organized it. You know, you do a hundred, you've played in bands, you know what it's like. You yeah. do like a hundred different jobs, um, you know, for the band. And I was always the one who was pushing everything forward. You know, I was trying to get everyone together, organizing everything, etc. And so I thought, well, hang on a minute, since I'm doing all the work, I write everything, blah, 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 and I, you know, I can kind of get by on a few other instruments that aren't my main instruments. I may as well try and do it as a, you know, work as a solo artist. And then with technology, again, you can get a, you know, an amazing sound out of recording from home. It's, of course, it's not going to be the same as a 250 grand studio, yeah. but it's, it's getting better and stronger. Yeah. And so I focused more on learning how to record, engineer and produce and mix so that I could do everything again from the comfort of my home here. But also when the family travels, I want to be able to work wherever I am, but work for fun. So the combination of those tools and the Internet, which gives you a much obviously, I mean, it sounds really obvious, but again, so many musicians miss this point. They think that if they want to build a fan base by playing out at a, some pub on a Tuesday night in London, it's going to be better for them than using the Internet because they've got this live interaction. Yeah. Well, there is that live interaction. But of course, you've only got whoever's in that pub on that Tuesday night or the Wednesday that you play after or the Thursday. Whereas with the Internet, day and night, you can reach you know, anybody anywhere. And when you add to that and the real key point um, in recent years has been Facebook ads. Yep. Because that's the great game changer and leveler for musicians, which most musicians really haven't cottoned onto. But no matter what your genre or your subgenre or sub subgenre, you can find those people that love that music all over the world all the time. Yep. And that connects you to a much greater, bigger audience. So although the the fame and the tip of the iceberg is more elusive to a degree, actually you've got far greater and wider reach. So I have been focusing personally on that side which is far more in keeping with my idea of success because again 
I, you know, in previous bands, we did some tours with some fairly well-known acts and, you know, you've got to be here at this point, there at that point, up at this point, doing that, you know, it's constant kind of on the, on the go on the bandwagon. And, and are you selling your, like, are you selling less, sorry, sorry, are you selling like CDs and downloads direct or are you doing it all through, you know, third party thing? Obviously, obviously there's a little bit of income from Spotify and stuff. How, how are you actually doing that? Primary income, if you're not obviously playing live, um, which is can be lucrative but the primary income for online is moving towards membership access model yeah. so cds are still viable but they're viable more from a kind of collector's yeah. memento point of view because you know same as vinyl really you know people buy it they don't have a vinyl player i mean i've got hundreds of cds but i don't have a cd player yeah um as a lot of us don't um, downloads, you, you can't really sell downloads, but again, everything's, it's moving towards access for experience. So again, I, I try and help musicians to move out of the mindset of it's this one product and you either must buy it or you don't get it to, well, the product is often a lost leader. It's what experience can you wrap around that product to give it meaning? What narrative can you, you know, what's your story that you can connect direct to fan, you know, that you can have that relationship such that when you have these kind of more experiential products, people are more inclined to want to be able to support you, not because of this one song, but because of all that you're doing, if right. you see what I mean. So on the music side, um, that was kind of where I've been pushing. But actually, that you know that goes for any business. You know, I, I, I don't know how many people listening to this read or watch and learn about marketing and digital marketing, but no matter what the business more and more it's about having that relationship it's engagement it's you know it's not just one to many it's trying to get the quality the communications which is why people are starting podcasts and youtube channels and i mean obviously i've been doing it for years but it's it's building the relationship with the listener in whatever format that is and it's actually no different in music so it's moving to those digital marketing strategies or tactics which are actually as old as the hills it just what they boil down to is having a relationship with someone that sure. thinks what you're doing. And are you, adv are, you adv are you advising musicians on doing this kind of thing as well? Are you, are you offering this like a service, like a marketing service? Yes, I, I have done. And I kind of put it on the back burner for the last 18 months or so while I was focusing on a couple other things that I, I will be kind of opening myself back up for that um, in, a, in a few months' time when I've just got a few other projects kind of off the ground um, and sort of running. But yeah, that's, that's definitely something... It's because for me personally, it's it's more than yes, it can be lucrative or not. It's more a case of the thing that kills me like more than anything is to see somebody who's got a, a dream for something often in the creative sphere, and that could be music, but it could be something else. Who, due to lack of knowing what to do, lack of information, lets that dream die and gets a job that doesn't fulfil them. That is something I really want to try and help sure. people out of basically that's a great a great goal hey so Romeo, i want to talk about open mic nights obviously it's the events podcast yeah. and, and the events is the main <laughs> thing you've got can you tell people about what, what what are your open mic nights and how did it how did you get started and then we can get onto it because it's interesting because it seems like you're doing them like several a week right now yeah so um we're currently running i think about seven or eight a week and they're expanding quite rapidly we've got a, quite a few more actually going to be added to that and this again comes down to kind of follows on from what I was saying, you know, about people losing the will to follow their passion because they don't have the, the opportunity or the knowledge. And so I got into the open mic scene 
relatively recently. It's not something that um, I did all my life because I played more in the the band context, you know, the full rock and roll yeah. band type thing. Um, and again, I was playing solo and I was kind of uh, an opportunity to come lap to uh, actually it was rather random. I won't go and delve into it, but I was at an open mic night. Yeah, no, tell, tell us a story. It's always a good, good to hear how these things happen, <laughs> you know? Well, it was actually, so my, my wife and I, at the time we had a one-year-old and we had some friends coming over from France and they wanted to meet up and they wanted to meet in an evening. And that can be a problem in the UK because, uh, certainly in London because venues don't want children in the evening. So we found a venue near us, a pub near us that said, yeah, yeah we're happy to have kids in the evening on the, whatever day it was, Sunday, I think it was, or Saturday or whatever, Friday. So we went down there and it happened to also be our anniversary um, day as well. Actually, that's got nothing to do with the story. It just happened to be. <laughs> that's how I remember the date. And so we went into the pub and funnily enough, our friends actually couldn't make it. So we're there with my, with our daughter and there was an open mic happening. And so we're like, okay, well, yeah. so I ended up getting chatting with the guy who was running it and finding out a little bit about open mics and whatnot. And, um, and he was, he convinced me to come back and play, you know, the next week I said, no, I'm not doing it now, but I will come back next week and play, which I did. But principally because it was a place that I could come with my family. So my wife was able to come with the kid at the time. So that's how I kind of got into open mic. So it was a very much a, it was a local place. They allowed yeah. kids happened to be there. And from there, there was something which I started realizing very early on which was looking about London and looking about generally, and this is something I'm often quite interested in from a business standpoint, is when you see a potential market where no one even sees, you know, no one even realizes that there's actually a business in that market to be made. And what I mean by that is obviously they say if you want to build a restaurant, you know, open it next to a bunch of other restaurants because you know that that's a popular place. Well, that's obviously one area. The other one is if you're going to build a business if you build it in a place where there's nobody else, it might be the wrong place to build it because if there's no one there, then maybe that's telling you something. But I like to think that there are some areas where there isn't a business because nobody considers it to be a lucrative market. No sure. one's thought about it. Sure. So I looked at the open mic scene and I said, well, hang on a minute. Nobody is doing this as a business and running these as a business. Everybody is running them as a one-man band with yeah, their mates. Yeah. You know, very much. So I thought, well, if somebody comes in and starts doing this thing as a business and potentially opening it up to a franchise model in the future, there's a really good capacity. There's a really good potential here, and also, you're going to run into hundreds, if not thousands, of performers on the ground. People who are actually working, yeah. or people actually going through the scene, which must bring other opportunity with it. And so that's what led me into starting UK Open Mic um, five, six years ago, whenever it was. Um, and yeah, from there, for the first few years, it was very much kind of just not really doing too much with it. It was just, yeah, cool, I'm out, I can do a few nights, that's great. But in yeah, the last- how, how, just, let us, how did you get started? I'm always keen with the entrepreneurial store. What, what did you do? Did you contact some venues and say, I want to run an open mic night? Like, how did you get some revenue from the venue? Like, how, how did it all start? Or did you just go back to the same pub where you took your daughter? Uh, well, that's, that's how I kicked off. I, um, I always like to try and shortcut things. So I took over the night from the guy who was running it. I kind of right. ingratiated myself um, because he had other things on. I said, oh, you know, I can help out, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it's an easy way for me to learn how it all works and everything. Um, so I took that over. Then we got um, through uh, through the same guy, actually. He was told about another venue. So I took that over. And then from then onwards, so that was, again, about five or six years ago. And then from then onwards, I started looking. Well, my for about 10 years, I'd worked in advertising sales in magazines. So I had a background in cold calling. But ironically, even at that time, um, 
you know, the mantra was the, the ad director would come out of the office and be like, come on, everybody on the phone. No one's on the phone. Everybody, you know. And I never thought that was a really efficient use of time. And again, central to everything I do is generally, well, how can I make this less work for me yep. but get equal or more results? You know, I like efficiency. Everybody likes their 80-20. Um, sure. So I had started looking into email, cold email marketing effectively um, 10, whenever it was, you know, I guess eight years ago or nine years ago or in that job so that I didn't have to call people so much. And it actually transpired that I ended up being the only person who never was on the phone but had the best sales results of everybody. Yeah. And so I knew that that was a route that I wanted to take with the open mics. And it took a little time before I worked out a system that would enable me to do that with as automated as possible and heavy lifting. So if anybody's interested, my methodology was really simple. Um, because I was after venues, principally pubs, I know pubs want to be found and I know I can find them on Google Maps. So I scraped Google Maps for the data, went through and made sure I could actually get the right email addresses for those venues, which sometimes meant manually calling them. Yep. Hopefully it meant just trawling the websites. Then I use a piece of software, um, in my case, Mailshake, if anybody's heard of it. Mailshake. Mailshake, yeah, there's another okay. one, Snow, Snowvio, that's um, also, but basically they're automated, they, they uh, business to business email, you know, automated email. So they'll chains. scrape emails off the websites, basically. Sorry, excuse me. They won't scrape emails. No, you load in your, your uh, CSV of all of the email addresses, and then you put in a chain of emails, and it will send all the, the first email to all those people, and depending on their action, it will then it. take another action, which might be, my actions are very simple. If they reply, then it takes them out of the chain. If they click the unsubscribe link, it takes them out of the chain. If they don't, they get the next email in now, the chain. Now, at this point, you're trying to get pubs to host an open mic night on a regular basis. That's the reason for the email, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So again, you know, anybody listening, obviously, if you're going to cold email people, then the first and foremost thing you want them to do is open it. And the most important thing is what's in it for them. Yeah. Uh, again, a mistake. Because again, when I was training people in um, sales, you know, this is obviously 101, but the amount of businesses, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people aren't trained in sales. So though they can make a fantastic product and they've got great ideas, they don't necessarily have a good head about when they're contacting, cold contacting people, what the other person wants to hear yeah. in that sense. So real simple one is, you know, it's got to be what's in it for them. So my subject line for the emails are very simple. It's, um, can we bring 20 to 30 customers to you every week? You know, no pub is going to look at that email or most pubs aren't going to look at that email and go, well, no, I don't want 20 or 30 customers brought to me every week, you know? Yeah. So it's, so that would be the subject line that would get the, the pubs interested and reply. And then once they actually do reply, then it actually comes into my inbox properly and then I'll deal with it. Just to step in here quickly to mention our sponsor, Events Frame, a project I'm co-founder of, and I want to mention our integrations, which we believe are the best available. Firstly, payment integrations. You can connect any payment gateway, such as Stripe, PayPal, on Braintree, or even bank account or take cash. You can connect everything to EventsFrame. We also have the best marketing integrations out there with every email marketing system, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip. And we've got deep integrations with all the social media platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. We've got thousands of events live on EventsFrame right now, ranging from small community meetups to huge trade shows and conferences. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. That's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com. And now, back to the interview.
Okay, yeah. and so you got a, a bunch of pubs replying. Can I ask, what was your proposition? What, what's, the, what's the business model here? Is the pub going to pay you to host the... the... So the pub pays, yeah. So we are uh, effectively an entertainment provider. Yeah. Pub pays us uh, set rate every week, and that enables us to run the company and obviously get performers in through a various mix of our own email marketing, organic, and paid ads. Great. And, and I guess if you can make it success, then you can, you can negotiate and get a, get a better rate from, from the pubs. Yeah, we're actually we actually started with a stronger rate than probably um, we probably could have st- stuck to it. But actually, I lowered the rate after a couple of years um, because what I wanted is once we go into a pub, because we'll we'll buy a full PA system for that pub and we'll store it on venue. Right. That way, our hosts can swap in and out at any given time without worrying about carting gear or anything like that. So it gives us a lot more flexibility. But obviously, it means that there is risk up front with having to buy. Um, gear so the initial two three months um, of a new venue is effectively break even for us by the time right, we've got, got it. Ads cost. so it was more important to me to have a venue that wasn't looking at the the money every week and going oh, is it working this week or this you know what i wanted is month on month they look at the numbers and they say yeah it's bringing in some money or it's bringing in lots of money but it pretty much no longer is a conversation it just carries on yeah so that's great a- i'm sure if you share the story look i'm going to buy I'm, I'm buying this pa i'm storing it here i've got a long-term commitment um and and and, and obviously there's there's an extra there's a residu- residual effect of just the promotion you're doing makes people hear about the bar even if you don't come on the open mic night they might come another time you know yeah, absolutely. And the longer the nights run, the more the more value they bring to everybody. So the initial bump is, you know, it, we have to take a bit of a risk on. But after it's been running a few months, then it's effectively profit from there. So that's why we've just got a set rate. I probably should be raising it again now, particularly for our Friday and Saturday night open mics, because they tend to bring in the most revenue for the venues. But at the moment, we've just got a flat rate to keep everything yeah, really simple. Um, and what, that's fascinating. Now, what's the logistics of how you run it? You store the PA on site, and then and how does it go? Does just you or someone turn up every night, big MC host the event, um, and deal with the the performers? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I mean, for the first few years of running the open mics, I was, um, you know, I was the guy on the ground running them, and then when we had. At one point, I think I was doing about five or six a week, and that was really tiring. Um, I haven't run an open mic myself personally for about a year. Um, so, but what I what I was really keen to do is put in a system so that again, one, it can be franchised or it can be you know expanded outside of our physical air reach, and two, so that every it, it, you know you go into McDonald's and you get hamburger and it tastes and you know exactly what you're getting no matter what city in the world you're going into and I kind of wanted that similar That's, idea yeah definitely you know you can walk in there you know what gear you're getting you know how the host is going to treat you and you know you know how the vibe's going to be and all of this so we buy the same PA spec for all the venues sometimes slightly bigger speakers sometimes slightly smaller in the range depending on the venue but basically the same spec so again that way a host can come in even if they're just covering for the regular host they know the gear. They might need to be told where, which part of the pub to set up in. But aside from that, you know, they're, they're kind of on top of everything else, including the sign-up, which is what we use events frame for, um, and the whole process. So the idea is that it just becomes a really simple kind of operation for everybody. So, yeah, we'll, um, we'll make sure that we're getting in the performers. And what we found is by focusing on getting in the number of performers, the rest kind of takes care of itself. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah the, there's the a great book called, called The E-Myth. I don't know if you've read that all about systemizing yes. things and, and talks a bit about what you said. And, and so do you, do you have like one or more people who host these nights and you, do you train someone up and, and they go and do it? Yeah, um, we've got, I think currently we've got a five or six um, on the team. Two other guys are in training at the moment. Um, and it, there were three, uh, like any business, there were three pillars to this. Um, you know, your sales, your operations and delivering it and your staffing. And as I touched on earlier, the, the, our route to sales with the scraping and the um, automated emails. Yeah. So and, I've got the process sorry. there. Yeah. Was, if you want to jump in. No, 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 carry on. I'll jump in afterwards. Sorry, carry on. Okay, cool. So what I've been working on is trying to put in exactly that systems for each of these elements so that, again, oh. um, because this is – UK Open Mic is, um, is my main project at the moment, but I'm starting to move over to a couple of other projects that I'm launching um, aside from my own music and, and video and photography and writing. Um, so I wanted it to be in a position where, again, it, it all comes down to process. You know, yeah, you want to be a cash flow business that runs right. without you. Exactly. Um, so the sales side of things, I kind of got a process for that. And obviously everything can always be optimized. I can always do better, but I've got a process for that. The operations, I've got a process for that. That was um, how we sort of came, you know, cross paths when I came to the um, ticketing effectively and um, or the booking. And then the third part, which is what I've been focused on recently with the staffing and the training, which, um, you know, everything had been very ad hoc uh, up for the last few years but I'm now putting in proper procedures. And What's, proper. Can, can, I touch, can we touch on your sales process? Like, are you talking about getting yeah. new venues? Because I'm curious as well what, what your sales process is to, to market the events. Are you doing paid advertising or are you getting a pub to promote them or what are you doing there? Yeah, so those are two different markets. So our clients are the venues and our customers effectively are the performers. So obviously, as you say, two different areas. So we touched on the selling to venues. Um, we've already kind of covered that with the uh, scraping and the emails. So the, the marketing to customers, I do a lot of Facebook ads. Um, so that's generally pretty effective. Um, but our kind of main thing is from the very, very get go all those years ago, from my experiences in selling and, and in my own music as well, I always have been very keen on building an email list. I always think that it's not very sexy for most people, but it is still the best ROI it's still fundamental to to any business I believe so from day one anybody performed I'd be asking them for their email address and so we built up what is now can pretty confidently say the biggest database of open mic performers in the country that we're pretty regular with speaking to those guys and that brings in you know the bulk of the the performers so a combination of Facebook ads organic posting um, and the email marketing, the email list. And are um, you, as part of your email marketing sequence, are you are you trying to use your existing musicians to recommend friends and other people they know to come as well? It's, that's a good point. It's, that's been on my, um, I mean, aside from just generally asking them to, I haven't got anything in place specifically system-wise. Funnily enough, this week I've been looking into getting my head around a few tools for exactly that, for viral growth, basically. Yep. And to not not in the sense of just a competition mechanic or anything like that, but it, as an actual marketing channel. Um, so that's something which is on the list of things I need to cover, but I've been pretty weak on because a, a specifically rewarded referral scheme, for want of a better word, is something I really want to bring in so that we can yeah, leverage word of mouth a lot more. Definitely. Look, Romeo, it's, uh, I know we've got to finish uh, soon. It's been a fascinating chat. I guess, closing question, 
I'm really interested Ooh. to hear. Has anyone appeared in your events who's gone on to be to be well known that we may have heard of? I'll give you two. There's one fantastic guy who um, who was playing at our events quite often, and um, my favourite story about him is he, he came in one time and he, um, he 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 was a bit tired. He said, "Ah, oh, you know, I don't suppose you got any space." He was a bit late in the evening. Uh, he said, "I don't suppose you got any space on the lift." And I said, "Well, you know, I think we're we're pretty booked, so you know how you know how it is. You know, you go to the back of the queue because we're." we're very strict about um, everybody gets treated equally. You know, we don't have favorites, sure. you know, it's all very fair. So I said, you know, if you can stick around and he said, yeah, I said, Oh, how come you're so late? So oh, I've just got off the plane because I've just been um, on tour South America. I was like, Oh wow, that's impressive. You know, what sort of, you know, how come South America? Cause this guy from Yorkshire actually, I think he was the opening act for Ed Sheeran. Wow. So uh, I was really impressed that not only was the opening act for Ed Sheeran, but he got off the plane and came to our open mic having cool. just toured stadium so that was cool but the highest profile act i think we probably had was sam smith you know sam of course, smith yeah um i don't know if i should say this, this story or not but i'm gonna so yeah, see me um <laughs> he he came in he also came in late um with his management and wanted to go on you know whenever he wanted to go on and he was told i wasn't the host on this particular occasion but i'm very happy that our host acted this way and said you know, that's great. Yeah, we'll get you on. You're going to be number whatever, you know, whatever it was next on the list. And he wasn't impressed about that because he wanted to go on sooner. And he was like, but don't you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, you're number 17 or whatever. But I'm Sam Smith. <laughs> but yeah, you're still number 17. And uh, he, he left in quite a huff. Really? Oh, he didn't get into play. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it's good so, he turned uh, up, though. He knows, you, he knows you, you're a egalitarian. Well, that's it. He, he, that's it. But I, I really like that story because I think that that actually demonstrates our kind of core values better than I, I could put it myself. You know, you got Sam Smith turning up and he's still to the back of the queue because we've got other guys who've been waiting longer. So, True. well, that's we a great way to finish. Uh, Romeo, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 